mentors and people that you look up to are the biggest thing. Like someone you can reach out to and ask for advice, like it's priceless finding the right person or two for that. Like you can ask them like, hey, I feel like I'm managing too much. How do I fix this? Or, hey, I am thinking about launching something new or thinking moving into a new career. Like what are your thoughts? Having someone that you, you trust and is there for you when when you need it it makes all the difference welcome everybody to episode 32 of the paul and pals podcast i'm your host pony boy paul and paul and pals is a podcast where i interview my creative pals who are creating the life that they want to live the goal of this podcast is to learn the how and why of their creativity in order to inspire you but really myself to go out there and start creating the life that you want to live and on this episode, I have a creative conversation with my pal, Julie Verhage Greenberg. She's the co-founder of FinTech Today, a community and content company focused on the FinTech startup ecosystem. She's also the host of FinTech Today's podcast, Tux Time, which some have said is one of the best, if not the best produced podcast of our time. Um, and you can just take my word for that. Uh, But in this episode, Julie talks about how she was the first person to attend college in her family, um, even though that college was Michigan State University. So eh, it's 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 something, you know, but uh, go blue. And she also talks about what it was like to come on board and become a whole co-founder with somebody who's drastically different from her. And we talk about the pros and cons of that aspect. And lastly, she also breaks down what it was like to elope with her husband during peak pandemic. Also, after and only after you've listened to this full interview, head over to the Paul and Pals newsletter where I do a special breakdown on a key aspect from this episode that really stood out to me, in addition to providing some helpful resources to help you create the life that you want to live. So without any further ado, let's get creative. You know, I kind of want to like start this episode by doing like the whole, this episode is brought to you by FinTech today. Because then I feel like if I do that, you have to like invoice me for this episode too. <laughs> I'm going to charge it as part. I'm going to just sneak it in there. But no, thank you uh, so much for coming on. I know we've been trying to do this for um, a couple attempts. So I'm glad we were able, we were able to get it done. And I do want to let you know though, you know, in all seriousness, I'm probably going to keep this short because, you know, you went to MSU, I went to Michigan, and you know, I want to keep like a certain level of standards for the show, but <laughs> I can't believe I agreed to this. <laughs> but no, I think I, I love that I learned I it took me so long to learn that you actually went to Michigan State, which is the craziest thing. I always forget that you went to Michigan too. You like you seem so nice, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> there you go. But uh, you know, speaking of how we met, I do want to give a little bit of a breakdown. Because I know you've kind of maybe put me in the in the newsletter, maybe tweeted about me, but people are like, "Who the who the hell is this, this guy?" Uh, but interestingly enough, we met through Josh Kaplan, who uh, had just mm-hmm. randomly texted me one day. He was like, "Hey, who edits your podcast?" And I'm like, "Oh, I do it all." He's like, "Oh, okay." And I asked him why, and he's like, "Oh, I'm just looking for somebody to help with these two people." And I remember just saying, "Like, oh yeah, I don't know, maybe." I can find somebody. Like, I wasn't really interested in helping you guys with produce tux time. And then I was talking with a friend about, you know, the opportunity that came up and he gave back to me. He was like, why didn't you accept that? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I want to focus on my thing, get better. And he was like, no, nah, I'll go back and ask. So it was very, it was a good lesson for me because I think coming back and asking is like been a great learning experience. Like 
I've never edited or produced for anybody before, but I feel like working with you for Tux Time and like just helping it start and the success it's had now has been a great, great learning experience of just like, you know, really pursue those things that you might not know if you're really good at, but you'll learn along the way. And uh, it's been great. I I had no idea this was your first time yeah. editing and producing something. So you could have <laughs> That's me. the key to life. Everybody's <laughs> faking it. And you got to just get in there and be like, yo, and then perform. And I think, um, you know, it'll do well. And the funny thing is, I didn't even know what I was going to be editing for. Like, he had just told me, like, two people. So I'm assuming, <laughs> like, just some random people wanted to start a podcast on their couch. And I'm like, I guess I'll help. And I remember asking Josh, like, are these people serious? You know? And then he was like, yeah, it's for, like, FinTech Today. And I looked it up. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, this is, like, an established thing. So, nah, it's been a, it's been a dope <laughs> experience. And I want to ask you, kind of, we mentioned Michigan State and all that stuff. Like, I think you might have told me, maybe you mentioned this. Were you the first of your family to go to college? Yeah. I don't know if that's a random stat. Yeah, okay. yeah, I was. I mean, my younger sister also went to college, but just okay. since I popped out earlier, I am the one that went to college first. Neither of my parents went. They both graduated high school, uh, but they mm-hmm. just started you know, working. My mom was a waitress. My dad grew up on a dairy farm and he uh, took the farm over. Uh, and so there was never necessarily a reason for them to have to go to school. Ironically, before he decided to take the farm over, he thought about going to Michigan of all places to be an architect. <laughs> smart man, smart man. <laughs> so it was always funny. He would, uh, the only time he would not root for Michigan was when they were playing Michigan State. I'm like, all right, uh, fine, like whatever. I root for the Big Ten and yeah. all that stuff. So it's fine by me. But yeah, that was a, a fun little battle in the family. <laughs> and do you feel like that's where you kind of got your entrepreneurial spirit from? Kind of watching your dad and mom for manage sure. a whole a whole farm. Like, I don't know. For sure. Yeah. Because I think for me, it's like the idea of technically always working since when you run your own business, as you know, like you're always working, mm-hmm. um, but also being able to sort of like structure your day, how you want to structure it. Like, Hey, if I want to knock out a bunch of meetings and then take an hour to go run some errands or read a book or go on a walk with my dog, like I can do that, but like I'm accountable to myself. Like I need to get my stuff done. Whereas when you're working in corporate America, you can't really do that as much because your boss might email you or like they can structure your day a little bit. And it's like, all right, well, in that case, it makes it a lot harder to do that. And I've just always been someone that I'm a hustler. I like being accountable to myself. I like setting my goals and executing on them. And that's just who I am. Yeah. And I can tell. I mean, you wake up at like, what, <laughs> 5 a.m. every day and just like. But this is the thing. You are also always like, I'll slack <laughs> you. And I'm like, why is he up right now? Just, It'll be like 5 in the morning. I just never went to sleep. I'm trying to do better now. I'm trying to be more, <laughs> regulate my sleep schedule. Um, and, you know, I was going to ask too, because you mentioned that you've always had that as part of you, but were there any other, maybe other businesses or entrepreneurial things that you kind of did even from when you were young on the farm or when did that really be like, you actually made it a real thing? I sold lemonade outside our house. Is that kind okay. of like the OG, yeah. <laughs> like entrepreneurial thing? Yeah. I uh, always hear about that story, but I never meet anybody that's actually done yeah. that. So I think you're like one of the first. Yeah, yeah. No, and how was that? It was fun. I mean, the thing is like, you're this like eight year old, cute little kid. So everyone's like, oh, like, let's give the little kid some lemonade or Kool-Aid or yeah. whatever it was. Um, and then I'm trying to think of on top of that. I've always done like side gigs. So I did some freelance writing in college. Um 
I did, I, I teach classes at Equinox as like a side thing. So I was just like having these side mm. hustles that were like semi-entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, but I like FinTech today is definitely like the, the deepest dive I've taken into that space. Yeah. yeah, you're like, oh shit, I got a whole whole company. I and I manage people. I run payroll. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, how is that too? I'm gonna I've always wanted to know how is that working with your husband? Because you're obviously your husband works <laughs> at FinTech today, but you're also technically his boss. So do you ever just see him on his phone like, what the fuck are you doing, Jordan? Like, you need to be doing this. <laughs> How's that relationship? Thankfully, he has not messed up or anything okay. yet, which I think partly is probably the pressure of like I convinced my co-founder to go out on a little bit of a limb and hire him as a contractor and then bring him on full time. Mm-hmm. And I think like that was pressure. Like, all right, like yeah. my then fiance now wife has gone out on a limb for me. Like I better do a good job. Otherwise, like that just doesn't set a good precedent yeah. and whatnot. I see it. Yeah. I see a lot of pressure there. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, no, and- I think like. There might be sometimes where I'm like, wait, like, don't you have things to do? Like, why are you taking a nap right now? Or like, why are you making a sandwich? You're supposed to get this done. But in all seriousness, he, yeah. he's done a great job. No, nah, he's definitely great. And um, I was going to, going back to the whole, you know, you've started doing like psychic writing. When did you feel like, like, oh, I need to be, I need to be a writer. I want to be a writer. Has that always been like a interest of yours? So ironically, my sophomore year of college, I did an internship in wealth management in New York. And I just wasn't really a fan of how slow paced that is given like it's the summer. So all of your wealthy clients are out in the Hamptons and they're not going to come in and ask questions anyways. But it was just like, all right, like I love finance. I was a business major, but I wanted something that was more like I don't know, like kept me going. Each day was a little bit different. Mm. And I I was also the person that when we got to work in the morning, the team would be like, okay, like what's going on in markets and stuff today? And I would be like, oh, these were the Wall Street Journal headlines. And like, this is what we should care about, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then the next summer I did an internship in financial news and ended up going back to that company when I graduated covering financial news. Got you. And then we're, um, because I'm really into financial literacy as well. And I actually, mm-hmm. I was really into like Goldman Sachs for a minute. I remember going to New York and mm-hmm. I was trying to like, oh man, I should probably like do wealth management because that's like my passion. And I don't know, there was just something about that summer that I really just hesitated. Like, I don't know if it was the vibe of New York or just seeing other employees and how like stressed they were all the time. Uh, were you were you at Goldman? No, I never worked there. So I, I interned at okay. Shell. I've been at Shell since college like sophomore year but that was actually one of the reasons because you know when you're kind of like used to a good thing you're kind of scared to step out of your comfort zone and switch to a whole new internship so I was kind of like oh man but I already know these people and I was gonna get paid this much so I was kind of like so I know sometimes I think about it and I I tell my brother now who's actually also at Michigan you know he made the right decision (laughs) and I I tell him like yo you got to make sure that you try to get as much experiences as you can while you're in college because you just really never know when all that experience can come out and help yeah. you. You know, I never thought I'd be a podcaster editing videos, but I've just kind of like tested the waters and it's been enjoyable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so for you, when you kind of like, you know, graduated and you started writing for real, did you, did you ever get the sense of, ah, I don't know if I want to be doing this or did it really confirm your, your interest once you started for real? 
I think like once I started for real, like internships aside, I knew that I was like, all right, like I really like doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's exciting. They're obviously with any role, but I think especially in something that like journalism can be a really stressful job, just given that like, if you're covering certain companies, like Apple might break news on a Sunday and you, you've just got to be on and like start writing about it and whatnot. So I think like that part is really stressful. And there's times that you question like, why the hell did I want to do this? Um, but I think, like I always knew that like I was good at writing and I'm really passionate about business. So it just ends up being like the perfect combination. I think if I wanted to be like a political reporter or a health and science reporter, that would be something totally different. Like I'm not politics. I'm most certainly not passionate about. I think that that would be like the worst reporting job possible. Um, <laughs> health and science, I guess like you can get deeper into it, but I just, I, yeah. I would come at it with an angle that I don't know as much about it since I wasn't like a, a chemistry major or mm. a, a nurse or anything like that. So. Gotcha. Yeah. And do you feel that as journalists, could you mention like the whole breaking news? And I think especially now with, you know, newsletters are the thing and curators are the thing. And, you know, we're going to get a little bit more to what FinTech today actually is for those that don't know. But I wanted to ask you, like, did you, when did you notice a change in just how journalism kind of, I feel like journalists become became more stronger in the fact you wanted to know what individual journalists were writing about. It wasn't necessarily like the actual, you know, whatever they work for. When did you kind of feel like that change in journalism becoming a thing? I think part of it happened when Twitter started because you could start following the specific journalists that you Mm. liked on Twitter. But I think over the past like two-ish years with Substack coming out, ConvertKit and other platforms like that where people can run their own newsletters instead, I think that really shifted the gears. And I mean, for better or worse, Trump also made it so a lot of people question journalists at this point. So Mm -hmm. being able to follow a specific journalist versus the entire news organization, which a lot of people end up, you know, having issues with for for whatever reason, uh, just made it so journalists themselves could kind of like be the owners of their own content and create their own following where like, Hey, I am the expert in this space. I am the expert on topic X, Y, Z, like follow me. Don't worry about like following the broader organization. Maybe you don't like the reporter covering this aspects at this news organization or this aspects or whatever, like just focus on the ones that you do like and follow them. Mm. Did you ever have any, while you were at Bloomberg, I know you had some, maybe some other journalist, journalism jobs. Did you ever have any moments where you like, you know, sent something out, reported it, and then you're like, oh, shit, like, it's somewhat incorrect or I got to change something? Have you ever had that situation happen with you? The only things that have happened is like you'll misspell a name oh. <laughs> or like maybe you'll like put like the wrong analyst in there or something like that. I've never had anything big that I can remember that went out and we needed a correction on, which I should say part of that's to Bloomberg's credit and that their editing process is very much like I would edit it. It would go to one other editor. It would go back to me and then it would go to like that editor's editor and then it would mm. go out. So the made it so there was very little room for a major error in there. So that was good. <laughs> Got you. Yeah. Okay. Just make, just making sure. Yeah. You know, checking. You know. And uh, I think we talked about this when I was over at your, uh, you know, wonderful house a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I, we were talking about, you know, how sometimes when it comes to breaking news or a story, 
a lot of it goes into whatever the headline is, which might not mm-hmm. be the actual meat of the story, right? And I think you had mentioned that sometimes you had like you kind of wish like the the actual content of the story is what sold it. Um, how have you kind of like maybe learned that exp- from that experience? And have you tried to implement something into fintech today in your newsletters where you kind of like you know not embellish it so much, but still kind of keep it catchy? Yeah, I think there's just there's such a fine line between having a catchy headline that does resonate with the story and doesn't resonate with the story too. Um, like it was also hard with just like things like earnings reports and whatnot because that might be like positive angles of the company's earnings, but if their stock is falling, you can't really have a positive headline just because it's like, well, if everything was so good, why is the stock down like 5% after Mm. reporting earnings? Right. But I do think there is this something that I really weighed on me towards the end of my time as a traditional journalist is just like, there's so many negative stories in journalism, both from the political side and tech. Like everyone kind of hates tech right now. Like, Oh, (laughs) Facebook is evil, blah, 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 which I'm not arguing whether it's true or not, but, but you would go into each story And it's just so much easier to pitch a negative story. It's so much easier to get a negative story published. Whereas if you're doing something that's more promotional, like, hey, here's this incredible founder, or hey, here's this company that's doing these really cool things, it's just like, it's just harder. Your editors are more skeptical about whatever you're writing, which I get because you're going to look bad if... Like something comes up where, oh, actually that founder is abusive in employees and you wrote this like puff piece on them. Like you don't want to be that person. But it's also like, well, what if that founder is actually really great and you just like tore down the company too? So it's it's tough. And that started like bleeding into my personal life a little bit where it's like you go into any aspect at work with this sort of like negative lens in and you start thinking about your personal life in a negative lens too. Like you, you're just constantly the glass half empty versus the glass half full person. Mm. Well, I want to learn more about that. What you don't have to give us maybe specific examples, but like maybe describe a time where that was really starting to get to you, like how how you felt and like maybe how you get out of, got out of that. I don't know if you're fully out of that. Yeah. I think like the perfect like story example would be the Peloton stock has obviously done very well now given the pandemic, but when they initially went public, they weren't profitable. Their stock was down a ton afterwards. And I broke the news that they were launching a cheaper treadmill and they, they're still yet to officially launch it, but they are working on a rowing machine that there's prototypes yeah. for and everything. And what so, year was this? This was 2019. Okay. So right before the pandemic, I want to say it was like late summer, fall, so like two years ago. Okay. Um, but instead of Peloton stock doing well, Peloton stock was not doing well at the time. And I remember the story was about them launching these new products. It was a scoop. So like first person to report that. And I remember I sent in a draft and then I get a draft back that had been edited and the intro was changed to something along the lines of Peloton, the money losing fitness startup whose stock has done terrible since its IPO is looking to launch two new products. And I'm like, I get that we need to mention that the stock has not done well somewhere in the story. That does not need to be the first line or two. Yeah. It's just, like that just makes no sense. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's tough. I think it's just because just we're just naturally just drawn to drama. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there's a reason we watch reality TV shows. 
And you've been tweeting a lot about Fuckboy Island. I still haven't watched it yet, <laughs> but I, I've been debating. I've been debating checking it out. But, watch it. Okay. It was only like six episodes. It's very easy. Okay. I, I actually did just watch <laughs> two. What is it? Too hot to handle? Too much to handle? Something like oh, that. That one's too hot yeah. to handle. Is funny oh, man. too. They, they make you. They just lure you in. But I think it's just a natural human yeah. thing. So obviously, if you're a marketer, you know how to write copy. You're gonna sell that, mm-hmm. right? So I, I don't think that will ever necessarily change. But I think that's what's also motivated people people to start their own things like fintech today or something like yeah. that and you have that control and uh, i do want to hear a little bit more about how that came to be because you know at this point you're you're julie verhage you're at bloomberg people know about you what really kind of gave you the confidence once um ian carr your co-founder hits you up and was like hey can you come over here so at first, I just started writing a premium newsletter for them. I wasn't um, a, a co-founder or anything at that point. Ian wasn't even necessarily like a founder. Like it wasn't really a company. It was just like this mm. side thing that we were kind of doing. But then, so that was March of 2020, like right as the pandemic was raging and the world was shutting down. Um, and then I was doing some other consulting gigs. And I remember it was about like mid summer last year where Ian was like, Hey, like, I want to bring you on as a co-founder. I think we should raise some money. Like, I think we should like make this like our full-time jobs and not focus on some of the other things that we've both been doing. Um, and I had some talks with some friends about it. One of them was, um, a VC that I was consulting for. And then some others that I really admire in the space. And they're all like, Hey, like, we like, there's definitely a pain point here. You're young. Like you don't have kids that you need to be accountable for or anything. Like if there's ever a, a time in your life where this would make sense, this is it. So like, go for mm. it. Like, it'll be hard, but we also, other important thing, we don't have Ian on here, but if you know me and Ian, we are both very different. Very different. Like Ian, Ian has Ridlin like pumping through his brain, his veins, like everything. Just like he's amazing at finding these new ideas and really being like one step ahead of the mm-hmm. game. But he's not as good at just like executing on all those ideas because he gets distracted by all yeah. the other good ideas that are out there that that come yeah. into his head, right? Whereas me, I'm not as good at coming up with incredible new ideas, but I'm good at the execution part. So it's just such a good match that way. And uh, you make a good point. Actually going to be one of my questions is the whole just you and Ian dynamic, because I think it's been interesting working with you guys and like just understanding how different you are. But the fact that you guys still have this company Mm -hmm. that's, you know, running is is, is amazing. Right. And I know you just interviewed her recently. Uh, Kinsey, I I interviewed Kinsey Grant, you know, a couple, maybe a month ago. And she had talked about how, you know, she's working with her co-founder, Josh Kaplan, and like they're different in how they operate as well because, you know, he benefits her shortcomings. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you kind of like you've explained your shortcomings in that. Um, I want to know what are the cons of having a co-founder that's, you know, drastically different from how you operate? Have you guys had to overcome certain things? I think the biggest thing that people have to keep in mind co-founding a company is one, don't get someone exactly like you. Cause that like, if you're, it doesn't even necessarily have to be like the whole like big idea versus execution point. But if you're very tech savvy, you probably don't want another technical co-founder. I would look for someone that, you know, solves another pain point in the area. Like if you're working on fintech, someone from tech as well as finance makes a lot of sense that way. But I think like the biggest theme is just being aligned on the overall mission of the company and the vision of where you're seeing it going and having a mutual respect for each other. Because you like you're going to have arguments with each other and everything. But if you're still aligned on the broader vision and you still have a respect for that person and their ideas makes all the difference. Mm. 
That's good to know. I like that you kept it yeah. so you didn't spill some spill some gossip. So I love that. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, sure, sure. Save that for like the post gotcha, show. The post show. Maybe I got to start a Patreon and go fully explicit. <laughs> but no, that's good. I think that's something that you know I've, I've kind of th- thought about too. Is kind of like um, you know I, I want to make Paul and Pals bigger. You know, I'm working with my. Uh, we haven't even got to the whole founder portion. Basically, like one of my best friends, who's also my creative director, Juan, is like, you know, kind of figuring out, you know, what we're good at and what we're not good at. And I think that's something that we learn every other episode of every week. So it's been um, interesting to see how you guys have grown that. And we've been kind of talking around mm-hmm. about it, but I want you to give a good description for somebody that's never heard of one, the word fintech or fintech today. How would you describe what you are doing, what you are building? Oof. How much time do we have? <laughs> we, got a, we got a lot of time and a lot of wine. So, uh, so fintech, it, I always say, like, think of something like Venmo or PayPal, but also think of like how all the finance apps are on your phone now. Think about uh, whenever you connect your bank account to something else and it offers like integration where you don't have to like type in your account info. Remember when PayPal used to be like, we're going to put two small deposits in your bank account. Please type these in and we'll verify it. Like FinTech makes it so you don't have to do that 99% of the time and it can just like magically integrate it together. Um, So that is FinTech. Uh, It's taken off a lot during the pandemic, just given that people could not go to bank branches or buy things in the store. You have to do everything online or on your phone. Um, And then FinTech Today is a newsletter publication and community platform. As of now, there's other things that we're working on um, that really keep you up to date on everything that's going on in FinTech, as well as our premium subscription offers access to a Slack community where you can connect with other founders and experts in this space, as well as a premium newsletter that's going to be more deeper dives into what's going on. So it's not going to be just this analysis of like, hey, here's what's been announced in the recent days and what you should care about. It's going to be like, all right, here's what's been announced. And like, why should I care about that? Or like, here's this big new trend that we're watching that's coming out. So it just takes it that like one step further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you uh, you do a lot of work. You know, I, I see your emails and sometimes I'm like, damn, is she emailing me about the podcast or is she just sending out another newsletter? <laughs> And <laughs> I want to know the behind the scenes of your creative process, because uh, like I said earlier, curators are the new creators and the fact that they make all this content that's out there, they make it easy for us to consume. And I want to know, how do you consume all that and then curate it for all of us? Like, what's your what's your creative process? Yeah, so there's different websites that I go to. And this is like my job of just trying to make it easier for the readers. I don't want you to have to go to TechCrunch, The Journal, Bloomberg, CNBC, FinExtra, like all these places to find out what's going on. I want to do that job for you. So some days are easier than others. There's some days where there's just so much going on that you kind of have to like wean it down a little bit because I don't want the newsletter to just be so long. Like, Max, I really want like 10 stories in there. And even that's kind of pushing it just because we've we've divvied it up between like company news, funding and M&A news, and then crypto news. So between all three of those, having more than 10, it just gets to be such a long email. Um, so there are some days where it's like, okay, cool. There's like these eight big stories. We're just going to focus on those. There's other days where it's like, crap, there's like 20 different things and like, 15 funding rounds that happen. How do I pick which one that we need to write about? So a little bit of it is like my own discretion, just based on my, uh, you know, 
years of experience in fintech. Uh, and I kind of go based on what ones people are posting about in the community and like having questions on and seems like they, they're interested in. And then other times it's like, if there's this really big round in Latin America versus this tiny seed round in the U S I'm probably going to focus on that massive round in Latin America, just because it's like, all right, Latin America is really hot right now. And it's a really big round. So pr- probably someone like Kotu or Tiger or Sequoia or something like that led it. And I think our community mm, needs to know you. about so it. So would it be a good description if, let's say if somebody didn't subscribe to the newsletter yet, would a good description be the morning brew of FinTech or do you not want that that uh, comparison? To a certain extent, yeah. So the free newsletter is definitely like a morning brew of FinTech. The um, paid one is more of a deeper dive that would be less like morning brew. That one would be more like a lot of the sub stacks that you might subscribe to. So like Eric Newcomer, Casey New In, and other people that are, you know, charging a little bit of money every single month to have access to the stories and um, exclusive news that they're doing. Got you. And are you the one, I mean, I'm kind of curious about your team. I know we mentioned uh, your husband, but what is like the the team that's there right now for you guys that's actually able to keep this constant and, you know, not burn you out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my husband and I um, do most of the the content and community stuff, whereas my co-founder and Parker, his chief of staff, they do a lot of just like product management, thinking through what we need to launch next, helping out with a talent and job board, um, and uh, sort of like keeping me and Jordan in check on the the community and uh, content side yeah. as well. <laughs> Got you. And uh, you mentioned community. I know Ian's kind of told me a little bit about, you know, how that community to be and how mm-hmm. came to be and now he has a whole slack. Uh, what's that experience been like having to manage, you know, that and like, what have you learned from having to grow that basically or organically? I've learned that community building is a lot harder than you think it is. I've learned that Slack works well because most people are already familiar with it and how it works just given their jobs. If you try to use something like Discord or something else, there's a little bit of a learning curve there that might change in the future just given that there are more and more people using it. Yeah. Um, and I've learned that... Every community needs some power users. You need people in there that are constantly engaging where like there's just a constant stream of thoughts and whatnot. I'm not worried that there needs to be like hundreds of messages a day. In fact, most we Slack sends you analytics and most of the messages happen in private DMs versus those public boards that you and I would see. Mm -hmm. But I still want some stuff happening in those public boards. Like, hey, did you guys see this funding round? Or, hey, so-and-so is looking for a co-founder in this space. Like, does anyone have someone in mind? Like, I want that to still be happening multiple times a day. In the summer, I'm not as worried about it because everyone's gone right now. But like, There there definitely needs to be some people that are, you know, constantly at least like checking and looking because if all of a sudden you have people asking questions and like no one's responding, it becomes a lot less useful. And was that like a a little poke of like, hey, bro, you want to be this? Or like, did you kind of just see that? just grow like it just be people just were so into it or how did that become we are lucky in that a lot of people um naturally did that and many of them are writers for us too so like charlie ma writes for us and part of that's just because like i've known charlie for a very long time so has ian um and he was already posting a lot in the community and he also has done medium posts before so he has experience writing and i'd read them i'm like you know what you would be a really good guest writer for fintech today we should do something 
Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with like Jenny Johnston posts a lot in Slack and is one of our writers. John Collins, if you're listening to this, you should post more in the Slack. You're a great writer, but you never post in the Slack and people would love to hear more about regulation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really interesting because I've realized the, the, the power of niche, right? You know, I think with FinTech, it's kind of like, the benefit of fintech is like you know if you're into it or not you're not trying to find like how do i promote to fintech the moment you say fintech people that are looking for it are going to find it and mm-hmm. you know now that i feel like you guys kind of have this upper hand you have a very unique name do you ever feel like there's a certain responsibility you you have as kind of like in a way the voice of fintech now you know do you think there's any cons of being a curator uh, not necessarily cons, but definitely a level of responsibility, I would say. And maybe even less so in the curator, but more so in that like specialized content that we're putting out. Like I would never want someone to read something and be like, oh, this is actually inaccurate or read something and feel like, you know, we're totally missing the point. Um, anytime you read something, you don't necessarily have to agree with it, but you, I want you to read it and come away with the feeling like, oh, like I don't necessarily agree with that stance, but I can see why someone would get to that point. And I can see the analogy behind their thought process too. Mm, I see. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a fair answer. (laughs) (laughs) And with, there's really, you got, I feel like you prepared for this, but, um, you know, with that being said though, when I think about the FinTech audience, right? It's very, or at least for your newsletter, it's very just, I would say kind of executives, people kind of in that background. Do you guys have any aspirations to maybe, I don't want to say diversify, but like, do you have any things that you want to do to make maybe the common person be aware of fintech? Do you think that's really necessary or people are just going to just benefit from whatever the products are out there? I could see us doing that in the future. I think the first step between where we are now and that would be helping people that aren't familiar with fintech but just got their first job at a fintech company or are interviewing at fintech companies and looking to make a move into this space like and they just want to read up and figure out what's going on and what they should know who they should be talking to i think that's the next step and then eventually i could totally see us doing that something a little bit more broad base where it's like everyday crypto stuff, personal finance with fintech yeah. apps and everything. But I think that's a little bit farther off. I see. I, I, I like that you mentioned personal finance because I'm, I'm really big to that. And I've, mm-hmm. I've been wondering just like, I want to contribute, right? Because the one thing I've learned about personal finance is that you sometimes assume the average person just knows the basics, right? But sometimes you might be talking to somebody, you might mention like an, an IRA or, or 401k and they're like, you know, what does that mean again? Or like, you know, how do I use that? And I think it's very detrimental because that all you need to do with stuff like that is at least start as early as you can. But because people don't really understand it, it's kind of, or they're not taught it in college or school or whatever, it's kind of hard for them to get a grasp of that. Uh, Do you feel like there's a way for you guys to somehow get in that lane or maybe fintech as a whole is what's, what's it doing in that realm? Yeah. So I think that there is a lot that they're doing in the um, more retirement space. Obviously, 
Robin Hood wants to. I'm I'm a little questionable yeah. <laughs> on them doing that in the future. I think people will think always think of it as more of like a, a trading platform and gaming yeah. and gambling and stuff. But there's companies like Robo Advisors were actually some of the first companies that I covered that are doing a lot on the retirement space, both from ETS as well as I actually have an IRA at Betterment and they offer 401k products and whatnot as well. And I can tell you as someone that has had a 401k at a big company, like the platforms that they use are so hard to understand yeah. where I really find that Betterment does a good job of keeping me updated on like, okay, like what actually is my allocation? Am I on track for retirement? Like what could I do differently? Things like that. And I, yeah. I just find that so useful. And this is coming from someone that studied finance and I didn't even understand the the stupid 401k yeah. stuff that Empower was trying to tell me. No, it's good. I, I'm actually very grateful. I, I actually learned, I, I got into financial literacy because um, I was, it was my first time ever interning and I interned at the company and they actually let the interns participate in the wealth benefits. And I remember um, this one guy, I think his name is Robert. I can't remember his name, but he, shout out Robert. If he's ever listened to this, he changed my life. <laughs> and he's like, hey man, just make sure you're uh, contributing to the 401k. And yeah. I'm like, the what? <laughs> and he literally sat down with me. I think it was like for lunch break or whatever. And he just walked me through all the wealth benefits. And that day just changed mm -hmm. my life because, you know, kind of growing up, you know, my parents emigrated here from Nigeria. So, you know, they had to right. learn a lot of things on the on the ball, right? They didn't really have that background or education. So I've had to just be very knowledgeable about money. And sometimes when you get it, you kind of like are scared to spend it or you don't know what to do with it because you have this fear of like, damn, like I don't want to lose mm -hmm. this. Right. So it's very, it's a very dear thing to my heart. So I'm always wondering how I can, you know, really give back. So, you know, maybe we can, uh, we can, totally. uh, we can talk about that in the future. And, yeah. And sure. I think one thing I want to ask you about, cause I think you're a little bit more knowledgeable than the average person is, you know, you are, you are married right now and, you know, finances and marriage is always a, a taboo topic. I kind of want to know if you're willing to share with us some uh, details, how you and your, your husband have kind of like navigated that space and maybe how mm -hmm. FinTech has helped you navigate that space. Yeah. So I think we're lucky in that we both have very similar credit scores. And prior to FinTech Today, we both had similar salaries. Um, so I had more in savings. I was better at being like the person that was saving money. And I had Bloomberg had a very good 401k plan. So I had more money in that. But in terms of just like basic things, we were very much on the same page, which a lot of people when they get married are not on that. You might have one person that has a terrible credit score and one person that has a great one, yeah. one person that makes six figures and one that does like some freelance work and doesn't make as much or is unemployed for a little bit. Um, so like you said, it gets really complicated. I actually just invested in a company called Ask Zeta, which is trying to tackle a lot of this problem because if you're one of those people in that relationship where you are so different and even for me and Jordan, where we, we are on very similar standings, um, it's different for you to bring it up versus ask Zeta as an app and they'll give you prompts like, Hey, have you and your spouse thought about doing this instead or changing this? And they use plaid and other things to like integrate and kind of understand like, here's how much you spent last week. Here's how much you have mm -hmm. in savings. Here's some advice that we give you. And it's different when the app is telling you to do that versus like you're bringing it up. Cause if the person you're talking to is like, Oh, I don't know if we should have like, it's not me <laughs> suggesting it. It's the app suggesting it. Yeah. Don't get mad at me. Ask Zeta uh, told me to do it. Yeah. Um, so we are lucky in that I've made it. So our salaries aren't 
substantially different. Like I, I'm the founder, mm-hmm. so I, I make more, but it's not something where like I'm making yeah. double or triple what he is. Um, and, uh, he also has a little bit of equity in the company. I obviously have more of the equity and it, it makes it easier for Ian to say yes to these things too. And like, all right, like I'm still only paying and giving you guys X amount. You're just differing it up mm. a little bit differently than what I might've done. And I probably would have paid Julie a little bit more and Jordan yeah. a little bit less just given the mm-hmm. change in job titles, but it's like, it's I going see. to the same pot regardless. So yeah, I know I've talked to some other friends about it too. And some of them, We'll do things like the mortgage payment on the house. If the one spouse makes 25% more than what the other one does, then they'll put a little bit more towards the the mortgage payment than what the other one does. Um, And I do always think it's important to have some money separate that if you're going to make a big purchase on your own, for me, I'm very excited to buy the Peloton treadmill when it comes out again next week. Jordan loves yeah. buying expensive road bikes. And it's like, we we always tell each other we're planning to do these things, but it, we, we come at it from the same standpoint of like, all right, well, it's technically their money. I'm not putting money towards it. Like they have their fun cash that they can do whatever they want mm-hmm. with. Like that sounds good. Um, and that we do that in the understanding, like if something comes up with the house that we're going to have to fix or want to go on a vacation, or when you have kids that there's something you have to pay for with the kid, like we still need to have money aside for that too. And we're both contributing to that. Yeah. So I see. And so with Ax Zeta, cause I haven't used it. Is it like, um, when you guys connect your individual accounts and then your joint account, is there insight into like, oh, Jordan has this much this month, you know, maybe he can spend, mm. like, what is the, I guess the, um, I don't know what the word is, openness about the app? Is it very clear, distinct what everybody is, is ha- you, has? You can um, tailor it a little bit. So you can make it so they could only see the total in the account, or you can make it so they can see more about like, hey, here are some of the transactions that we're going through. So you can kind of toggle things on and off depending on what you want your spouse to see. Okay. Yeah. And you can mark accounts as like, hey, this is an account that both of us have, or hey, this is Julie's account. Hey, this is Jordan's account and like manage it that way a little bit too. Gotcha. And yeah, you guys actually got married during the whole COVID thing. Was that right when you were about to be a whole founder? Like take us through the pandemic a little bit. How was uh, managing all that? That was before Jordan joined us, but it was a few months after I had co-founded a company. So we got engaged Christmas 2019. We were initially going to get married May 2021. So it wasn't in during the pandemic technically that we were going to. And we like right when everything started, we're like, oh, like, thank God we're getting married in 2021. Like this will be way over by then. It's going to last like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. But it got like closer and closer and just the anxiety for me over like, I don't know, wondering like, am I actually going to be be able to host 150 people? Am I not mm. going to be able to? And all these things that it was like, you know what? Like I'm an introvert anyways. I don't like the idea of a big wedding was never that appealing to me. Yeah. So we decided to elope the day after Christmas, 2020. And it was just us, a photographer and five of our closest Wait, friends. Wait, hold up. When you say elope, is that, when I think about elope, I always just think about running off to like another country and getting married. When you say elope, you guys were just kind of like, you didn't <laughs> tell your parents or you did tell your parents? Okay. No, we, we did have a Zoom um, where people were joining and stuff like wow. that too. Uh, but it, it eloped in the sense that like, we just had one of our friends get, um, what do you call it? Ordained or whatever it is where you can. Oh, wait, really? And became the yeah, person that yeah, like, yeah. wait, yeah. what? That's mm-hmm. crazy. What did your parents react the most to you 
um, maybe you and Jordan living together before marriage, y'all eloping, or you going off to found a whole company? Probably us living together before we got married. <laughs> we ended up moving in together fairly early. I think it was like five or yeah. six month mark. And I come from mm-hmm. a very religious family where I remember yeah. I always wanted to live with the person before I married them because you just you mm-hmm. end up learning so much more about yeah. that person living with them. You know this. You know this. Yeah, I'm filming this live from my girlfriend's apartment because <laughs> I have to move in. So. Yeah. Um, so I, but they were always very much against that idea. Like they waited until they were married to move in together. Um, but I think the thing that made them feel a little bit more okay about it was that I was in New York and they're in Michigan and they're like, Oh, like at least you have Jordan to like protect you if something happens now. We can kind of feel a little bit more at ease with our baby girl in big old (laughs) New York city and whatnot. Yeah. But I, I think in the elopement, they actually were a big fan of like one, they didn't have to spend a ton of money. We actually, I think the whole thing cost like five grand. So they gave us a little extra money to put towards our honeymoon and everything off of that. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and then I think the only thing that they were sad about is like my dad didn't get to walk me down the aisle uh, and stuff like that. But yeah. they got it. Got they you. got it. No, that's real. I mean, I'm going through that a little bit because uh, I have... I mean, I hope, I hope my house is going to be finished. I don't even know at this point. But anyway, you know, I, you know, I brought that up to my, uh, my dad and, and he was kind of like, wait, what? Like y'all want to live together? And it's so funny because I remember we were talking about this when I was in Austin with some of your other friends and nobody even blinked an eye of like living with somebody prior to marriage. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, I think for us, it just, just makes sense. Um, but like you said, you know, tradition and then, uh, religion, even though I actually Googled it, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible you can't live with somebody before you marry them. But anyway, <laughs> I, <laughs> it's just been interesting having that conversation and like, you know, trying to deal with that. But, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see what happens in the, in the next month or so. Yeah. And um, yeah. well, that was a tangent. But one thing I just remembered I was going <laughs> to, um, I was curious to know, you had mentioned earlier one of your other gigs um, is uh, you're a teacher for Equinox, right? And Mm-hmm. How long have you really been into the whole fitness? Has that been like kind of like a passion of yours or where did that kind of come out come from? Yeah, so I have always been athletic. I played volleyball, softball, and basketball for a lot of like middle school and high school. Never did any college sports or anything, uh, okay. but I always just loved movement and I was good at that, whereas like my sister's more of the like artsy one. Mm-hmm. Um, where I can't draw worth shit. So <laughs> that was always my, my thing with sports. Yeah. Um, so just after um, high school, I still wanted to stay active. So I would do things like running, going to the gym, cycling classes. And when I got to New York City, I really fell in love with like the um, boutique fitness scene with a lot of like cycling classes. There's some hit classes. Class pass obviously made it very easy to go test out a bunch of different options. Mm. And... and I loved the whole aspect of like music and motivating people and, uh, you know, being on stage, telling people like running a class, essentially, like sort of like owning the room and whatnot. So I think what year was it? Probably like 2016, I auditioned for Equinox and they have a fairly short program to like you audition you go through a little bit of a training process learning how to run a class and how to pick music and all that kind of stuff and then you audition to get out of it too so I want to say it was around then and started teaching at Equinox after that it was never more than I think the most permanent classes I ever had in a week was like four or five Mm -hmm. 
Um, right now I'm just subbing at Equinox in Austin because I'm a little busy with other yeah. things and stuff too. But um, it was just such a good way to meet and connect with folks. Like some of my best friends are people that I met at Equinox. So it's just such an amazing way to find people that are like similar age groups, similar interests um, and, you know, make new friends. Yeah. And, you know, you said you're doing a lot of things on the side, you know, aka running a whole company podcast, Equinox. (laughs) But like, I'm curious, how do you even manage your day? Like, what is it that keeps you so consistent and able to be accountable for all these different responsibilities lots of being like organized and you know waking up at 4 30 it's like all right like i can i love that time because like everything else is still off right like i know no one's going to email me and bug me about something i know like nothing's going to happen outside or whatever like it's just time for like a couple hours of me being able to like get focused and like do what i want to yeah. do and get things done uh, I think, uh, yeah, being a morning person, I think is, is huge. And then I don't know, focusing on the things that, you know, you have to get done and are important. And then things that aren't as important, if they don't get done, like they can wait until tomorrow. It's okay. Just like focus on what you need to get done, running payroll or sending that email or getting that product out to market, whatever it is, like focus yeah. on that and let the other little things like they can, they can wait a little bit. Yeah. I can vouch for that. I think mm-hmm. you are the best email person. <laughs> I've, like you reply to email, like it's text. It's actually crazy. Like I'll reply. I'm like, Jen, did you, did you already send that back? But no, I, I love that. And I also even saw like a little preview of your calendar. So has that been a big thing that helps mm. you is like using that very actively? Yeah, I think having that for like, hey, like this podcast is going to go out this day or this newsletter is going to go out this day or like here are my meetings for the day. And the other key is always make sure that if it's a meeting of some sort, you have a 10 minute reminder, because if you don't have the reminder, like then there's a much better chance that I forget. And five minutes late, I'm like, I had a meeting with so and so right now. Like I need to log on. I learned learned that in college (laughs) because I I use Google Calendar and like now I make it so that every Mm -hmm. single meeting has a set default 15 and one hour reminder because like I remember I was late to like a study session and uh the Mm -hmm. the test didn't go too well um but no no, I I want to comment on you know you saying that waking up early because I used to think that I was like a night person I remember even tweeting one time like oh my mind comes alive in the nighttime and (laughs) I realized I was just saying that because I was procrastinating the whole day and I just waited till like 2 a.m. or whatever to do stuff. But I've been, for the past two, three weeks now, I've been kind of forcing myself to go to sleep at 11. And it sucks because sometimes you really want to just work on something. But I know it's yeah. way better to just kind of wake up naturally at like 6 the next day and actually start grinding. But um, yeah, I've definitely, definitely learned that. And uh, I know we're kind of wrapping up here. But one thing I'm always curious about when I interview people that are doing all these great things and they're known for this is I'm kind of curious, like, so let's say somebody didn't know you, right? Or you want to have a certain legacy. What would you want to be uh, known for? <sighs> such a good question, but also such a tough one too. I would say just like making yeah. a difference. Like you don't need to be known for like mm. making a lot of money or having a ton of friends or like running this massive company or anything. Just like having a positive impact, whether like how big or small, I just want to be remembered for that. Mm-hmm. No, that's dope. I, uh, I I used to somebody had uh, sent me a message one day. Um, I think I just posted a story because I try to like post insightful things that I see when I'm reading a newsletter or just 
on the internet and they sent me this long message of like, dude, like, thank you for all this stuff. And it really hit me because I never really knew the mm -hmm. impact you're making. Right. Um, and then sometimes I even get overwhelmed. I feel like I'm doing too much. Or I'm not doing it enough. Or I'm not doing mm -hmm. it right. And I think uh, to what you said, the making a difference is very important to me because I think about my life and the opportunities I had. Uh, you know, I got to America because of a freaking lottery. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's so random. So it's kind of like I, I try to take as many days as I can for granted. And I feel like being able to just help your fellow person is like one of the best, feel almost selfishly. Like I, I want to help you selfishly mm -hmm. so I feel good. So uh, yeah. no, I, think, I think that was a the, that was a great answer. And to kind of follow up on that, if you weren't doing fintech today, if you weren't um, known as uh Julie Rage Greenberg, what do you think you would like to be doing on a day-to-day, -day, daily basis? I think it still would be something in fintech because I just feel really? like th this space in particular, there's just so much that we can do to have a positive impact. I don't mm. know exactly what it would be, but I, I do think it would be something in this space too. Got you. Yeah. And I want I wanted to ask you about that, uh, your, your maiden name. Uh, was that like a thing that you always knew that you were going to keep the Verhage in your name? Or did you kind of get to the point of like, well, everybody already knew you as Julie Verhage? Like, Yeah, I think just everyone already knew me as Julie Verhage. So like legally, it's Julie Verhage-Greenberg. I see. I was like, so I've got the other one in there too, but I was like giving up the, the Verhage. <laughs> Our kids will have Greenberg as, as their gotcha. last name. Yeah. But I was like, eh, it's just easier. For, like people won't get confused yeah. that way and stuff. So it, it just makes more sense. No, I think it's dope. For some reason, the first time I met you, I remember I thought that was like your middle name i'm like wow she really likes her middle name <laughs> she says it all the whole thing on her podcast but no no this has been great and uh you know kind of to talk go back to making a difference that's one of the reasons that i you know created this podcast is like kind of to show my journey as a content creator but also to interview other people to inspire people to also create content and you know if i had to ask you one question of you know words of advice i would love to know what words of advice would you give to somebody on how to best create the life that you want to live? I would say mentors and people that you look up to are the biggest thing. Like someone you can reach out to and ask for advice. Like it, it's priceless finding the right person or two for that. Like you can ask them like, Hey, I feel like I'm managing too much. How do I fix this? Or, Hey, I am thinking about launching something new or thinking moving into a new career. Like what are your thoughts? It, having someone that you, you trust in, and is there for you when, when you need it is, it makes all the difference. Mm. That's a good, how, how have you kind of went about uh, finding that or working with that? Yeah. So I think, um, my first boss in New York definitely was a hard boss, but he still to this day, like, is there whenever I need advice or anything? And then there were a number of VCs that I worked with while I was at Bloomberg for different stories and staying up to date on everything that was going on that, you know, they became more than just the person that I talked to about like stories that were going on. It'd be a person that I'd reach out to, like when I was thinking, about leaving Bloomberg and, and stuff like mm -hmm. that um, to make sure like, am I crazy for wanting to leave Bloomberg? Like this is a good cushy gig. Do I really want to do yeah. something new? Um, and unanimously the answer was yes, go do something new. So that was a good thing. Gotcha. Okay. That's good. Yeah. That's a, I think that's one thing I've probably have got to work on the most is the whole mentor thing because um, I always feel like I want that person to have time for me or like be able to 
you dedicate time. Yeah. So I always kind of feel bad because I just feel like they're doing so much dope shit that like, how can they really give this much time? But uh, I've been doing a little bit better trying to be open and asking questions, but no, that's a, that's, I really appreciate the, those words of advice. You'll find that most people, like, despite how busy they are, they really like helping people, especially yeah. like promising young folks. So don't be so scared to do it. Uh, I'm promising. Yeah. <laughs> um, Even though you went to Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> I love the callback. But yeah, um, for people that want to follow you, support you, where can we find you? What should we do? Uh, just, yeah. just promote yourself. So it's Julie Verhage on Twitter um, and follow us at fintechtoday.co. You can sign up for our free newsletter. You can sign up for our paid newsletter, sign up for the Slack community. Everything's right on that website for you. And then you also obviously need to check out Tux Time, yep. the show that Paul produces. Mm -hmm. Duh. That's, that's on any podcast platform, Tux Time. Yeah, soon <laughs> to be on YouTube. Uh, I'm working on that. And then uh, we'll, we'll see how, uh, how that blows things up. But thank yeah. you um, so much for your time. Thank you for being so open. Thank you for Tux in the background. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, hey, uh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> we, 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 we live it. We live what we preach with the Tux time. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, thank you once again just for you know being a pal. And to anybody listening, always remember to stay creative. Peace. Thank you guys for tuning in to that creative conversation. I hope it was able to inspire you. And if you'd like to continue getting inspired, there's actually three main ways you guys can do that. One, you can actually watch all the YouTube videos. Uh, that's the full length episodes and also clips just to get a little preview about what each episode might be about. Two, you guys can actually listen on all podcasting platforms, which is Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Please feel free to leave a rating or review. Just help me out and also get the word of mouth out there. Three, you guys can actually subscribe to the Paul and Pals newsletter, which is basically a written summary of each episode in addition to my takeaway so that I kind of give what the episode made me think about what I got from it. Link in the description and show notes. But without further ado, always remember to stay creative.